Fans about films. Nerdy and informative. Greetings, dear listeners, and a very warm welcome to the newest episode of Fans About Films. Speaking to you, as always, is Lasse Vogt, your creator and host. And I'm in a very special situation because I am currently on a road trip through the US. And I used this time to meet with a couple of friends I met online for podcast purposes. And right now I'm sitting next to my uh, good friend Hunter, who is, of course, also a podcaster and was on my show before. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> and we have uh, another guest with us. Please introduce yourself. My name is Jamie. I'm an old friend of Hunter's. I'm also a huge nerd, love film, love storytelling, uh, currently studying English and editing at Brigham Young University. That's great. And we came all together because we wanted to talk about a very specific movie that's about to hit Blu-ray. And um, we refreshed our memories by watching it again uh, last night. And I think we all have a lot to say about it. The movie, of course, if you read the title, is Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, it was actually originally Hunter's idea to talk about it. Why did you want to talk about this movie on a podcast? So I want to watch this movie in theaters. Absolutely love the movie. It does what I enjoy about movies more than almost any other movie I've ever seen. Anyway, I come Which is? Oh, I just really like seeing movies be clever. I really like walking out of a movie and saying, how did they think of that idea? Um, and then I get home, and I see a bunch of reviews online and a bunch of think pieces and YouTube videos saying that it's not a movie. It's a palate cleanser. It's a... Uh, it's a filler between Infinity War and Captain Marvel, and I'm thinking not only is this a movie, but it's a pretty well done piece of storytelling, and I wanted to make sure that it got the respect it deserves. Huh? That sounds about right. You you saw a couple of scenes uh, beforehand, but uh, yesterday was the first time watching it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your opinion on it? Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that... It wasn't perfect, but it, it certainly had a strong narrative arc and, and some strong themes, um, which I hope we'll get to discuss later. Mm-hmm. Um, the music was engaging. The pace uh, never really threw me off. The acting, I thought, was, was very good. And overall, a very enjoyable movie. I have, I think so, too, actually. I mean, I went into it... because This is, this is, this is something I want to talk about. This is pretty interesting because it mirrors when the first movie came out, because the first movie also came out after a big Avengers Clash movie uh, in the same year as Avengers Age of Ultron. And I think uh, a lot of people did like Avengers Age of Ultron. I think they thought it was too crowded, too cluttered, too too much stuff happened. And I think Ant-Man was the great... Um, it was a great counterbalance to that because it is a small story. It's not about the fate of the world. It has not as many things going on. It's certainly a much lighter movie than Avengers Age of Ultron. And now this comes directly after Avengers Infinity War and pretty much does the same thing. It tells a lighter, smaller story with uh, with a lot more humor and a smaller cast. And I find it pretty interesting, the placement of both movies. <laughs> well, another interesting thing about Ant-Man is you mentioned it's on a smaller scale. This isn't a save-the-world type of story. 
um, it's scaled down um, in, in more ways than one. Not only are we dealing with a man who's shrinking, but we're dealing with his more domestic concerns, his relationship with his daughter. I think uh, parent-child, particularly um, parent-daughter relationships, mm-hmm. are a huge theme, especially in the second installment in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. I like that they expanded on that theme, that uh, the, the daughter has a much bigger role, that uh, how they show him, uh, you know, now being able to see his daughter, but there are still some obstacles in the way. Um, I, I really like that relationship. I like how the director obviously wants her to build, uh, to be built up as a as a superhero also in the future, maybe, because I heard that she is one of the comics. And... Um, I mean, it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly a great pairing. Both of them, they have you you believe their relationship, uh, father and daughter, which is great. You you pretty much believe any relationship in that. I I don't care much for Ant Man and the Wasp falling in love with each other. That's just the conventions of the genre. So I'm like whatever. But they do some funny stuff playing around with it. The way she pretty much how pretty much acts like a mother figure uh, throughout. Uh, the first movie and large parts of the second movie. She's much more of a mother mentor figure than uh, than a love interest, which I like. And I like how, of course, her role is expanded in this. Uh, and there were, of course, some stupid people who said, why is she bigger on the poster? Why is a woman so big on a poster of an action movie? And it's just like, what year do we even live in now? <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things I ever saw was a poster of an old vision. I think it was the Timothy Dalton version of Jane Eyre. And this is a story about a woman. It's named after a woman. And the only face on the cover is Timothy Dalton's. Which, he plays a great character in that story. But it just sort of made me laugh <laughs> that his is the face on the poster and the title is Jane Eyre. That that just made me laugh. I suppose Timothy Dalton was playing Jane Eyre in that movie. <laughs> I've seen. I think I've seen like a Star Wars poster where the focus was a mouse droid. So anything is possible, guys. I mean, this is the same franchise where usually you can't even see the main characters on the posters because the poster is about six feet long and the character is about two inches tall. Yeah, but <laughs> this is something on one of the posters, also on the soundtrack cover, they do this funny thing where the, the smaller versions of Ant-Man and the Wasp are actually on the title. And when you look closely, you can see them, and I totally missed that until I posted my review and kind of like zoomed in on the cover, and I was like, oh! <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's it's, it's really nice. I really wished that during the... Uh during the flashback scenes in other Marvel movies, we got to see random little bits of uh, of Hank Pym's Ant-Man. Like, back in the 90s or the 80s or something like that, Hank Pym's Ant-Man just flutters in for a second. Flutters in is a terrible word for this, but crawls in for a second, leaves. Yeah, would be would be interesting. I mean, it's, it's funny because now it's kind of a tradition for Marvel movies to show to show off their um, de-aging effects in the opening scene before even the logo comes up and i expected that with this i was like they are uh when i watched the movie i was like they're gonna show a flashback so they can so they can put michelle pfeiffer in the opening scene of a movie and of course they do the dh effect on both of them and they've certainly gotten really good with that um it doesn't look creepy in any way (laughs) i mean but if if you know about it it's still a little bit distracting i guess but it's kind of like it's become a staple of the marvel movies in a way michael douglas who plays hank pym mentioned that he would really like to do a prequel movie where hank pym is in his 60s 
So one thing that I really appreciated about the movie was when you have the the reunion scene between Hank Pym and Janet in, you know, that that deep level of the quantum realm, realm wherever they meet, um, it, it's very sweet, and, and they do kiss, and I appreciated that because we, we've all heard that Hollywood won't cast you in a romantic role unless you're under 30 and really good looking. Mm-hmm. But I, I like this, I guess, acknowledgement that there is... Depth of feeling, there's romance and there's great beauty in a relationship, um, a romantic relationship between two people who are not in their prime. Yeah. And, and there was still that that love and that tenderness between them, which I really appreciate and thought was beautifully done. I like I like that too. I mean, they're certainly, they're certainly doing movies now about older people falling in love with each other. Like, they're doing it every year now. But I think it's all started, this wave started with Grand... Uh, no, with... Uh, the, the, the best exotic marigold hotel. Oh come on! It was totally up. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, one of them was up, but that was still first and foremost a family adventure uh, animated movie, which had this as an emotional core of this relationship. But sure, that was one of the starts. But uh, I think the uh, biggest start was the best exotic marigold hotel because that was clearly aimed for an older audience, mm-hmm. and I myself enjoyed it too. But uh, to me, it's always like, of course you can show older people kiss in movies. What's wrong with that? You know, love exists no matter what age you are. It's 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 wonderful. And yeah, and this you 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 brought up a good point. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. It was like, yeah, this is something you rarely see in these kind of movies. Uh, two things I'd like to uh, discuss really quick. Uh, the first, and, and I'll get to the second in a minute. But the first is something I mentioned just a little bit earlier. Is all the parent-daughter relationships, because we've got three of them in this movie, which really makes it a theme. We've got um, Scott and Cassie, mm-hmm. we've got Hank Pym and Janet and their daughter, and then we have Ghost and her father figure, the the professor. What's his name again? I'm sorry. I love that his name Bill is Foster. Foster, yeah. Foster right? His oh, name god. is Foster! Oh my god. Right? And so, um, I don't know, what, what can we dissect from this? Like, clearly there's going to be some nuance between them that um, Cassie has this great role in, in encouraging and, and being a source of motivation for Scott. Um, and encourages him to get back out there as Ant-Man, which mm-hmm. I think is really, really great. Um... Well, is there anything comes to mind when you think about um, Hank Pym's relationship with, with Hope? One thing that I see similar between all three of them is that the apple really doesn't fall far from the tree on any of these. Scott is adventurous, and he's a superhero. Cassie is adventurous, and kind of wants to be a superhero, and Peyton Reed wants to make her a superhero. Hope is following it in her father and mother's shoes, and... Especially uh, her mother's. You see how... Or, I mean, her mother was presented as the first Wasp. When we, mm-hmm. when we watched the movie, we talked about this theme in, in, in life and in literature where a child... Um, seeks to fill the shoes of their parent and as as a way of validation or, or a way of uh, perhaps um, reaching the standard that's been set for them. And we see Hope really strongly step into that role as the Wasp and following her mother. Yeah, and he then, pretty much said it. And then uh, Bill Foster, it, he really resents Hank Pym and Ghost has this like almost revenge, almost vengeful feeling about Hank Pym. I know she just wants to get cured, but she also it seems like there's a little bit of vengeance in her feelings. Absolutely. What do you think? What did you think of uh, uh, Hannah John Cayman in the in the role of Ghost? Because I saw so many tweets 
uh, talking about her, how, how terrible she was. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Because I actually think she did a really good job of the first time we actually see her interact with Scott when they're all like bound up and he's the first one awake and he she her first scene with him there's this certain creepiness about her this other worldliness where it seems like she hasn't interacted with people all that much and it's I mean, a, can you blame her? She's been phasing in and out of the yeah, world yeah, it's, in density it's, practically, it's like so in, can't blame her. Yeah, and, 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 and I don't her, think she's got a lot of social interaction in the last 20 yeah, years. Yeah, of course, <laughs> and her interactions reflect that. They also are kind of, kind of fading in and out, and I and I actually thought it was a very well done scene, and I liked her motivation, I, I liked her character and all that stuff, and I was like, how can people say that she was terrible? She did a pretty good job in this. Well, that's kind of related to what's going on with Captain Marvel. The trailer came out and a few fans were like, oh, she's not smiling enough. She has no range. And that Mm -hmm. made me laugh so hard. The idea that Brie Larson doesn't have any range. But this idea that um, the standard that's been set up by previous cinema for females to be smiley and or seductive um, and and not to demonstrate a a, a great deal of, of angst or or um, negative emotion in any capacity. And frankly, Ghost has a lot of negative emotion to deal with. She's in so much pain. She's She's got an enormous amount of fear to deal with. And I thought the actress um, explored those emotions and portrayed those emotions very well. I agree. The other thing I really wanted to discuss with you guys is something that Hunter mentioned. Uh, he liked all the things that were clever in this movie. So can we list off a few just to give the audience, like, do you realize how clever, like, how did they think of this thing okay right off the bat we see we see that hank has grown ants and uses their proportional strength to carry stuff for him and that's within the first 15 minutes of the film and i thought yes this film has already blown ant-man 1 out of the water why didn't they do this in ant-man 1 and then i realized oh right because ant-man 1 was exactly what it should have been it didn't need that it it needed to be honey i shrunk the kids of the heist movie it didn't need to be it didn't need to have this clever thing. Within minutes, Wasp is Wasp's fighting style is defined by her size, where she doesn't duck, she shrinks and then grows back. Yeah, you you pointed that out. That was pretty good. I know. The, for me, the clever stuff was just they did more. They had more fun with the shrinking gimmick, and ne- not that it got old in the first one, but you still, but you can tell that they tried it out. They were unsure about a certain stuff like can we do this can we do this we don't want to alienate the audience too much and when it was established hey they actually really enjoy this character they expanded on it a little bit literally in uh, civil war uh, so they were like okay now we now it's time to have more fun with this and so they shrink not only people they can they they, they shrink cars they shrink buildings and uh, especially in the in the in the climactic uh, chase scene uh, it really shows that they are um, confident of doing whatever they want and it's still incredibly clear you can see what's going on at any time you know what the objective is um, and uh, that that to me was just some of the clever gags they did that was clever to me like the, when I know the, the car shrinks goes onto the other under the other car uh, grows again and, and, the, and the other car flies away from it like how they how we do they gave some stuff away in the trailer of course with the hello kitty stuff of course but um i still like how she just shrinks a motorcycle and the guy falls off and um, they do a lot of good stuff with this and uh some people would call it like, it's a generic shrinking action scene but i actually think I, to me it was pretty well done and it never got old which is the important thing 
So I think there's a big difference between how Ant-Man 1 did it and how Ant-Man and the Wasp did it, and that's part of why it was so clever. Ant-Man 1, the big question the big question it seemed like the writers were asking themselves was, what does a person do while he is shrunk? Past tense. Once he has already shrunk down, what does he do? Does he fall onto a, does he fall onto a record at a party? Does he have uh, does he have a bath? What do you do? Ant-Man and the Wasp, the question is, while somebody is still shrinking, what do you do? Or while they're still growing, well, we can push a car out of the way, we can dodge somebody, we can dodge a knife, we can make a salt shaker huge. We can and, make the facility portable, we can watch a big screen movie on a regular sized laptop if we just shrink ourselves. Yeah, yeah. The kitchen fight near the beginning is, is, is a great example of this, where, where you actually show off and say, hey, we know what we're doing. And it's, it's, it's wonderfully done. It's like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as an action film. I mean, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was pretty intense too, but it hadn't, it hadn't these kind of fight scenes in it. And so right. I appreciated that. And um, what helps with that is that uh, they, they, they keep the camera far enough away, the edits are on point. Um, it's 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 a very well crafted movie in that regard. On a level of clever storytelling, the ending is th- four groups of people, all trying to get the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mostly three groups of people: uh, Birch, Ghost, and Team Pim. I don't know what to call that group. Anyway, Birch, Ghost, Team Pim, all trying to get two different MacGuffins into the same spot so that they can have it in time for to grow the lab and get Janet and Hank out. It's essentially the ending of Pirates of the Caribbean 2, just done on a larger scale and in San Francisco, which gives so many options, and they do it so well. And every time that a new beat happens in the action, they're already setting up the next beat, and it's it's just done so well. Yeah, they, they do use San Francisco very well as a place, like where you, they, they use different landmarks for, for gags and stuff like that. There's some stuff I didn't like about the movie. One, the, the, his, uh, you know, the, the, mother of, the mother of Cassie and her now boyfriend slash husband, I know, they kind of felt tacked on. They, they were used for comedic relief. Yeah, but, but it's like, you and know... continuity, basically. It, to me, it was like the characters showed up, yeah, we are also in this movie, okay, bye. Like, that's, <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't do that much just to establish... I mean, I like that they establish that they're all cool now together because they set this up at the ending of the first movie so it's like hey it's nice that they made peace and now they expand on it a little bit but they still like don't they 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 are still not really i don't know i mean they are not useful to the story they're just there to establish that everything is fine with that i don't know to me that bugged me but it didn't bring the movie down it was just you know, it was just a little, a little uh, side gig here and there. Well, and the tone of that relationship was completely different across the movies because in Ant-Man, there was this huge tension between Ant-Man and his ex-wife's now mm-hmm. husband, um, worried about acceptance, being allowed to see his daughter. And in this one, they, they all just love him. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty good because they've been through, through some stuff. Scott proved that he was a hero, saved his daughter, uh, crashed the house. Um, that, that's all fine. And there's uh, what was it? I, I really liked Randall Park as the FBI agent. I thought he was a great addition um, to to make a, a new obstacle for the movie. And he is. I mean, I like Randall Park anyway, and he's really funny in this. They do a lot of great humor with him. But 
one of my biggest problems when I first watched this movie is it starts out simply enough. You know, we need to get this thing to bring this machine uh, to, to, to make this machine running so we can get into the quantum zone. Fine. But the movie constantly makes up other obstacles. Like, okay, now they established Ghost, and now she has this thing, and now they establish, oh, and now they, they want to uh, get it back, but now it's, uh, but now Ben Foster's involved with it, and stuff like that. And then, oh, the lab gets stolen, all the, all the stuff, and it's like they forget the main story point. I mean, they are working towards it, but it's like, it's it's cre- it's creating all of these side scenarios, in a way, which which kind of distracts from the main plot because I when I first watched this movie I was kind of lost at certain points I was like wait what they were trying to do again I thought this was just about bringing the mother back because I was actually really disappointed that Michelle Pfeiffer basically only has like ten minutes in this movie I think we're much more used to the uh, the antagonist being introduced at the same time as the protagonist's goal mm-hmm. so with the the protagonist's goal is introduced pretty quickly we have scott who wants to just get off of house arrest and we have pim and jen and sorry hope wanting to get janet back that is those are both established very quickly it's not until we've gone down that road a little bit that ghost is even introduced yeah um or birch so that makes sense that they they then feel like a sort of tag on uh obstacle to to that goal rather than you know the Rather than being so entangled with the goal. I mean, Age of Entangled. I mean, Ultron comes in, and I mean, the goal is... As soon as Ultron shows up, the goal is stop Ultron, right? Mm -hmm. He's not an addendum to the goal. He is the goal, basically. The goal is to stop him. Yeah, ironically enough, uh, I think in the comics, Ultron is actually uh, Hank Pym's creation, right? Well, now he is Hank Pym. Okay, okay, but yeah, but but I think that was originally the case, so and then they they change it with Tony Stark and stuff like that, so that's fine. But um, okay, so Lassa mentioned that having the story get kind of distracted from the original goal was kind of a weakness. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that's one of the story's greatest strengths. Hmm. This movie is a masterclass in what the in what Trey Parker, one of the creators of South Park. Oh, I thought about that too. Yeah. Yeah, Trey Parker, one of the creators of South Park, established something that he calls the the rule of replacing, uh, the rule of replacing ands with buts and therefores. Pixar also established this as their, I want to say their fourth rule of storytelling. I don't remember which rule of storytelling. I don't have them memorized or anything. The point is, um. The basic concept of Ant-Man and the Wasp is we have this goal, it's a very simple goal, and they make it as hard as possible on them because as soon as they get one step closer to the goal, they encounter a new obstacle. Every single scene is a very small mini-quest that gets them a little bit closer to the main goal. None of the scenes, as far as I can tell, are side quests. They all help them get a little bit closer to the main goal. It's just, they didn't realize at first how hard this goal was. Hope specifically says, we'll have you back home by lunchtime, and the movie clearly takes three days. It's just that they... They introduce a they introduce a goal, they introduce an obstacle, they overcome the obstacle. In the process of overcoming the obstacle, they they discover a new goal that they have to do, which leads them into the next scene. Yeah, it's like you know they they want to do this, but when this happens, therefore they have to do this. But when this happens, now it's it's exactly that rule. You're right. But I thought actually I expected something simpler 
for the first time around. Now I, I was fine with it, uh, watching it the second time, but I was like, this is a little bit too complicated for a movie I expected to be so simple. There was something I expected from the first trailer, because I and also from the poster, because I saw Michelle Pfeiffer in this kind of gear, and I saw the villain. And my original thought was that Ghost was actually Janet, you know, coming back, being kind of like uh, corrupted by the Quantum Zone, and now doing her own stuff. I really wish the Ghost were Janet. That would have been such a cool. That, that, that was my original idea, but when I saw, oh, who is this other woman? Okay, maybe she's Ghost, I guess. So, but but that was my original thought that they would do something like that. Would have been interesting, but I like the way they do it. It's just Michelle Pfeiffer is basically an extended cameo in this, and it's kind of a waste. I mean. I mean, I, I mean, she does fine and everything. I really like her, but it's just uh, maybe she, maybe they have plans for her for another movie. Uh, that was that was one of my points. I I didn't like so much about it. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer's character is the goal. The only thing you can do to have Michelle Pfeiffer's character in here more is to just show the quantum realm more. We do some cool stuff with that. It's certainly much more interesting than in the first one. Oh yes, it is. I don't know, that could have been interesting to show. I mean, it's teased, you know, what, that she's she's been in the quantum realm for a very long time, and she's learned things, and she's, as she said, the not not the same person that she was when she went in. Um, I If there's a story, it sounds like there could very easily be an interesting story to be told there, how um, a woman on her own has, has evolved. I mean, we talk about isolated survival stories all the time. I mean, Hatchet and... The Martian. Right, so many. And, and those can be really entertaining. So if Michelle Pfeiffer's down for it, I think I'd Cast watch away. it. Cast Away. But, exactly. That sounds like it could be a fun movie. Um, but uh, one, another point to discuss that we, we just tapped on briefly last night is this movie has almost four antagonists. We have Ghost, we have Foster, we have Birch, and then we have the FBI agent Woo. who Woo, who's mm-hmm. intent on... Uh, getting his job done right. and getting a promotion. Yeah, of course. And yeah. he's not, and he is clearly not a bad, it, it's not like he enjoys catching, catching skull. I mean, there's a certain level of like, yeah, when, when I, when I catch him with like the, 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 the hand and the cookie jar, basically, but maybe there's like a promotion going on or something. Maybe they established that, but it's still a guy who just does his job because he's in the right. Scott did an illegal thing. He has to pay for it. So I that, too- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. I just don't think... Yeah, talking about the character of, of Birch, it's just... One, I think... I think Warden Goggins is kind of wasted in this role because they don't give him that much to do. I mean, he clearly has fun. But it's like, they, they could have done something better with that character. It's He's just another obstacle, basically. And they could have... They, they could have shortened it a bit. They could have they could have done a, another, another thing with... I don't know. They could have written it more cleverly so it all syncs up together better. But yes, again, but he's a well-timed obstacle. He shows up exactly when he needs to, does exactly what he needs to for the plot. Not like the plot needs him to do it, therefore he does it. His motivations actually make sense, and he does what makes sense for him to do. It's just structurally, he fits so well. He's conveniently inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see why some people would have a problem with that. I, I had a little bit of a problem. So I was like, hey, it... It, it it's there to have cool action scenes and just another obstacle to make it more exciting so plot convenience i guess <laughs> i don't know um i don't think that just another obstacle to make it more exciting is a bad thing 
I think, honestly, the As long as it's well justified, and I think Birch's role is very well justified. We've already talked about the... I mean, they go into the, the power potential of the quantum realm, all this this undiscovered new frontier. Basically, the way I see it, the more obstacles you can give a character, the better the scene is. That's essentially all of what the first Back to the Future movie is. Give a character a very simple goal, and then spend the rest of the movie giving him as many obstacles as physically possible, from his mom to his dad to the bully to the doctor to... Everything is an obstacle in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Well, not everything is an obstacle, but they give them as many obstacles as they can. True, yeah. More obstacles can mean more conflict if well justified, and I think they did it well in this movie. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, what, what I like about this movie is that the pacing is pretty high all the time like they don't the movie doesn't slow down and i mean it slows down deliberately when it needs to like it's not like constantly throwing stuff at you not constantly action scenes and exposition like the first michael bay and edge turtles movie for example where it just feels like you're watching a very long trailer in this one it actually they know when to throw what at you they know when to have an action scene they know when to have exposition they know when to have a moment of sincerity and emotion and stuff like that and i like that they are very concerned with keep keep the pace up like don't bore the audience because that's the worst thing a movie can do any movie and it, it's it's never boring because they if it's not doing action scenes it tells us about something about the characters or it gives us an interesting exposition dump um and, and all that stuff so um, i i enjoy that um that, that's 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 one of the highest high strengths of a movie is i think is actually uh, the pacing and and yeah that's 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 my general thoughts about the movie i guess <laughs> one of the things that i absolutely loved about this movie was its use of chekhov's gag so when you introduce something in a movie and then pull and then bring it back you want to make the first you want to make the setup seem inconsequential so that the payoff is surprising and more fun that way but sorry and one really efficient way and really effective way to make that setup it seem inconsequential is to make the setup also serve another narrative purpose like comedy mm -hmm. during the entire first act they're just setting up thing after thing after thing through jokes that later get turned into action moments like yeah. uh the trophy is a wonderful joke and then it gets turned into a MacGuffin. yeah and then the Chekhov's gags, the setups serve even more narrative purposes because the trophy, for example, it's a it's a joke, it's a setup, it establishes the world, it establishes the relationships between the characters, it establishes so much so efficiently that you don't notice it's a setup and you don't think it will be a setup. Mm -hmm. And that way it can surprise you better. That's, that's true. That's, that's certainly true. Um... Yeah, the, the, the trophy was good. Yeah, the, we, we, I think we have to talk about the humor now because it's, it's so well done. I mean, it, it, it's great that all you know Scott's three friends are back. It's great how they establish them now running a business in a way. They do some more amped up stuff with a gag where Lewis tells something and the people in the story act like him. It's much funnier in this even. 
because also they are more confident. We know how this works. I, I love the way they set that up, though, because we, we know that Luis is about to be given this truth serum, and anyone who's seen Ant-Man knows the way Luis tells stories, knows how fun it is. Yeah. So the audience has just enough time to be, oh boy, we're getting it's another a, one of those really fun stories. It's, it's, the moment when, it's the moment when the roller coaster ramps up and you're just thinking, oh, here it comes! <laughs> it's great. It's, 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 it's really well done, and they... Also, the, uh, the, the other two guys, um, the, the Baba Yaga gag is so, so amazing. It's, it's, really, it's, it's really funny how that pays off when he's talking about Baba Yaga and then she shows up and he freaks out. And um, how they help uh, catching the bad guys at the end. Um, the truth serum stuff is funny. Uh, for the most part, I really the physical comedy bit and the school where he shrinks down, they gave some of it away in the trailer, but it was still funny, especially when he reaches for the... Uh, he reaches for a trophy and she's like you can do it almost there like it's it's so endearing it's it's really great and uh yeah we do we do a lot of good stuff with this without making it uh too weird or too creepy with the effects um with the payoff when hank pym is like hey champ how's school today me and my little brother we 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 cracked up in the theater <laughs> it was just it was just too good I, I enjoyed the humor a lot as well. I thought maybe there was just a little bit too much bathos, especially, like, I think they made a joke or two when, when Janet and Hope were united. And frankly, that that was the moment that they had been building up towards. I wish that they had let that moment be without without any humor. Just just keep the, the emotion there. The very ending feels kind of rushed. It's like, oh, we still have three or four things to explain and to show, so... Let's do this in the same in, in the reunion scene. Let's also have the healing scene of Ghost. Uh, let's have uh, a funny joke here, and then oh my God, Scott needs to get home in time. So there's too much going on for this um, emotional moment to settle in properly, which is which is kind of a shame. But I mean, probably there was something cut. They were like, "Ah, oh, this movie's long enough. Gotta wrap it up." Like, ah, come on, come on, come on, keep the pacing up. Um, yeah. So that's that, that's a weak point of it, of course. I still think it's it's handled fine, but yeah, I think they could have done something more with with Ghost because kind of like the, the show gets stolen from her by Burge and his guys. Um, I think they she could have done even more in this movie. Um, maybe that's why so many people think she was a weak character and a weak performance because she she gets overshadowed by uh, some things in it. On top of that, Ghost it seems to me, shows, like, one emotion through the whole movie, which makes sense. She is in constant excruciating pain. It just would have been nice to see literally any other emotion at some point. At well, the very end. Well, that's why we really love the moment where she gives Foster a hug at the end. That right. Even though they've disagreed, um, now that she feels safe... Um, you can see how how grateful and how close she feels to Foster. Yeah, and that she finally can can uh, touch him properly now. And keeping in mind, the script demanded that she share the antagonist role with at least three other characters. So, how much screen time could she be realistically given? That said, Ghost. I'm gonna make the argument that Ghost is the most relatable villain in the MCU. One of the uh, one one of the more relatable ones because um, she acts in a way you can you could say she acts selfish. It's justified. It's about her. It's about healing her. She she cares about herself first and foremost, which is fine. But I think more uh, the more relatable villain was actually um, uh, Vulture, uh, Michael Keaton, because uh, for his his main goal was my family. 
Like, like it, I'm doing this for my family. And that makes him instantly more relatable because it's not entirely selfish. And he doesn't want to kill people. And for uh, for for ghosts, actually, I am I'm gonna I'm going through this no matter what, even if people get killed. And I mean, she was kind of manufactured that way by bad people. But still, she doesn't hesitate to to kill somebody, and he does. When he kills, when Vulture kills a person, it's by accident. The reason why, si- sorry, you go ahead, Jamie. No, I was just gonna say that. Um, and I think it brings a pertinent question to the audience: If I was in enormous amounts of pain for years and I was um, staring my own death in the face, what sort of extremes would I be driven to? And I think that's a question that could be really realistically asked of just about any person. Mm-hmm. The movie is one long trolley problem that doesn't want to think of itself as a trolley problem. <laughs> Which makes sense. I mean, Mission, Impo- Mission, Mission Impossible Fallout is a bunch of trolley problems in a row. Avengers Infinity War is a bunch of trolley problems in a row. We've had enough trolley problems this year. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, they said it very, very early that we can either save Janet or save Ghost, and neither party actually thinks about the moral ramifications of that. They just both immediately sprint for the lever and try to kill the other person to save their own person, and it seems like they could have spent a little bit more time on the, on the themes of that. Oh, fair point, yeah. I see. But yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why I say... I mean, I don't... I, I'm not saying she's not relatable. I just think um, Vulture is... is uh, uh, tombs is more relatable in that way. So the reason why I say that Ghost would be more relate- relatable than Vulture is because Vulture is, extreme re- is extremely relatable if you're old enough to have a job. Mm-hmm. And if you're old enough to... And especially relatable if you're old enough to have a family. Yeah, Ghost... Her motivation is so simple that she doesn't need a supervillain monologue or a flashback or anything like that. As soon as she lies down on that bed and gets the, the, the therapy, basically, we can tell, oh, she has a sickness, she's in pain, she wants to get cured, that's all she wants. And everybody's had a cold, everybody's had something that they've wanted to get cured of, no matter how old you are, you can relate to Ghost. Yeah, but this... I mean, she has the monologue and she has the flashback, and this is where the committee shows. This is when the studio executives say, but what if there's something, somebody in the audience who doesn't get it? Like, we have to follow the conventions with, in, in this case, and that's where, you know, that's where one of the problems lies within the movie, you know. We still play towards the conventions. Some Sometimes they explain something for the dummies. And not as bad as some other movies do, because the Marvel, because Marvel Studios knows that the fans, you know, the movie fans, the comic fans, they know what's going on. But just in case, and yeah. <laughs> well, and because uh, Ava, because her her flashback wasn't included in the primary exposition of the story, I think that's what threw audiences off. They're like, oh, this, it feels like a manufactured villain in history, whereas the history didn't feel, feel so built in from the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe that's what threw people off. Um, really quick, uh, I, and I think this pertains to both Ghost and Hope, um, slight, slight girl moment here, the, um, their outfits, that neither of them were extremely sexualized, they didn't mm-hmm. have to be glamorous, have perfect makeup, um, I mean, there is, there is some, you know, there's obviously some feminine contour to, to Hope's suit, but it's practical, it's not, um, showing a an amount of skin that's completely unnecessary. Yeah, of course not. Um, well, both Hope and Ghost need suits that don't show any skin whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's practical, and we don't... 
And, and even when things do get um, sexualized between Scott and and Hope, it's it's done in uh, it's done from Luis's point of view. So it, it's you know yeah, it's hyperbolized yeah, to totally. show the the ridiculousness of it. Also, that's uh, in, in some of the parts when he he's telling the story, she she actually wears some some outfits, you know, where, right. where it's like yeah, that's that's totally his vision, right? Which which fits. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I really like the practicality of the suits. I think that's something very important for for the women in the audience, of course. You know, seeing uh, seeing women not being sec- sexualized. You know, I mean, she's not running around like uh, Xena, warrior princess, or stuff like that. Um, and also, I think that's why so many people responded positively to the Captain Marvel suit and the trailer and on the poster because we're going for a, for a similar kind of thing where it's clearly a female suit, but it's not fan service in a big way it actually looks like a practical battle suit in a way and even uh janet being stuck in the quantum realm isn't a complete damsel in distress she is and she isn't passive about it she's been actively um working through scott and finding ways to try to be reunited with her family so we don't have I mean, even if even if it is a slight damsel in distress, it is certainly not a passive character, which is what really that. bothers us. Yeah. When we have a female character who's put in a damsel in distress situation, and she's like, "Oh, well, I'm just gonna sit here and be helpless for a little while until someone comes rescues me." That, that, that might be one of my favorite scenes: uh, Paul Rudd doing a Michelle <laughs> Pfeiffer impression. That was that was very nice. He's so incredibly great in that scene, and they and it's amazing because it's clearly a comedy scene, but you can feel feel the emotion you can feel the sincerity they they treat it it's balanced out so well and it's and also it's um they they don't they don't do the dummy gag at the end because it's like uh when he wakes up out of out of a uh, sta- stage he's like how did we get up here and then he just holds his hand with fake pimps and he doesn't he doesn't say why are you holding my hand they just show it and that's funny enough i, I really like that they are they are deliberately uh uh, taking their chances to uh, sell these moments. I think uh, because we're running out of time, it's, it's it's time to come to some of the to some of the conclusions. A, a lot of people were obviously shocked by the downer ending. I mean, the very very end because it's the a mid the mid credits. Yeah, because it's a very uplifting movie. You know, it's a very very happy ending for everyone involved, even for one of the villains. You know, it's but it's it's just. At the end, you know, it's a. I think I said this in my review, where it's a very light-hearted movie, but it gets bogged down by the weight of the MCU, and I think that was a great way to say this without spoiling it. Because yeah, because there was something I was expecting during Infinity War. I was like, wait a minute, when does Ant-Man take place? Does it take before? Does it take place before? Does it take place during it? So is there? Will there be a point of a movie where just randomly people disappear, and that exactly what happens in the uh, credit scene? And I mean, sure, they they tie it into the larger audience, which is uh, to the larger universe, which is fine. But still, it's kind of a bummer after after the uplifting ending of a movie. <laughs> I don't know. I I rather enjoyed it um, because I don't know the the Thanos's snap mm-hmm. uh, carried a whole lot of emotional weight. Um, they, they, they deliberately shot those scenes to, to carry the most, the most heartache in, in losing everyone who, who was taken by, by the snap. And, um, I know that was such a big moment and, and to, but, and it was almost done humorously, uh, because Scott's like, hey guys, 
very guys, funny. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's it, it, it's almost become an, almost an iconic thing. You know, Thanos is snapping. And fading off into the dust. You see people making jokes about it online all the time. It's it's amazing so how much I thought this it was already... a great addition. I really enjoyed it. I was like, oh. Yeah, it's it's amazing how this has become such a big theme in pop culture now, and it's just from this very year. You know, when you can tell something is very powerful when it immediately catches on with people, and it's it's gonna be repeated. Uh, over and over again, and it's 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 gonna be very very interesting. And I'm sure you know they have a plan with this. Marvel is smart. Kevin Feige is smart. They know where they want to go with the characters. But I can see some people saying, "What was the point of a movie now? You know, everybody's dead in a way." And of course, we all know they're not dead. They will come back in some way. But still, it it will be interesting to see what happens. But it's still it's a little bummer ending, and even like at the very, very end of the credits, you know, it's 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 kind of like, it's an extra F you towards the audience. Like, yeah, yeah, here it is, you know, the f- funny end. Did you remember what the movie originally was about? It was fun? Yeah. But it's still a bleak ending, so bye. <laughs> Enjoy your popcorn. But it was humorously done, so I didn't feel like it was a, a middle finger to the audience in any way. I thought it was a great inclusion um, to the wider universe and, and tension builder, because Scott is stuck in the quantum realm. You know, I, I thought that that was a interesting place to leave it because oh they're going to have to address that later. How are they going to get him out? Yeah, How I long is hon- it going to take? I honestly thought that last post credit scene, I didn't see it as a joke. I saw it as a way to establish the new world. Yeah, yeah. The world has completely changed due to Thanos' snap. The entire civilization is probably changed because of this. Um the open and door, get, you have the alarm signal on the TV, you And can we tell get to that. see one person's, well, one ant's point of view of a completely empty world. Mm-hmm. You don't get to see that very often. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's certainly, they tie it in with something, but it should have been, uh, when they go the dark way, they shouldn't have had the, the, the ant banging on the drums, that's, I don't know, that was kind of... Miss, miss. But after the after the um, mid credit scene, I like how the music actually reflects that, right? Because the main credit music is uplifting, the new Ant Man Wasp hybrid theme, and then it's this dark, it's this darker, more dramatic version of the Ant Man theme, which I actually really also, which I listened to on the soundtrack without context, and I was like, what's this? This kind of sounds, this, this kind of sounds mean. This, this sounds like like a downer music. But then when I knew the context of the movie, ah, I get it now. like the music i like the new additions they did i like the creepy sounds uh during the ghost scenes 
Uh, they even make like uh, whale sounds uh, during the part where. Uh, <laughs> I didn't so notice so that. The, the, the music, the music actually, they make like whale sounds on the on the soundtrack. On the soundtrack, actually, there's a special, uh, special bonus cue at the very end where you can hear actually the whole Baba Yaga song. Um, so it's uh, th- that's that's a nice addition. And also, without without context, I listened to the soundtrack and I was like, "What's this?" <laughs> and then watching the movie, ah. <laughs> I absolutely love the uh, the retro '80s video game versions of the main themes that they throw in there every once in a while. That was fun. Yeah, that's really fun. They they, they do a good job with uh, turning it into a more comedic thing. Overall, I think the music is is really good. It just me, or does Ant Man have the potential for a really cool video game? Oh boy! Oh, absolutely, please. Playing around with the mechanics and stuff like that. I I think I think there are some video games who tried this out already. But but yeah, with with this kind of mechanic, oh, that would have been so great. Like, uh, because there, there there are certain video games where you can switch like between different outfits and worlds without like any loading screens, and this is this, that's a cool effect. But yeah, shrinking and uh, growing again. I think there are some who did this, but in, in this quick way. Still need to see that. It would be nice. So in, in conclusion, um, is there anything else you want to say about this movie and final thoughts? A um, little bit about the music, since we're on the topic, since we were just on the topic anyway. I'm really wondering why Wasp's theme is the way that it is. It's the last three notes of Ant-Man's theme, made longer, and the first note is dropped by a fifth. I don't know why. It feels like it's trying to say that Wasp is a part of Ant-Man. I don't know what it's trying to say, but I feel like... I, that... think, I think that's the way, because or, uh, because Wasp originally was created, you know, as an addition to, to Hank Pym's Ant-Man and stuff like that. So it makes sense that her theme is, is, is kind of like a riff of the original Ant-Man theme. It's kind of like a hybrid theme, kind of like what Danny Elfman did with The Age of Ultron. Well, apart from the wings, she still has the same essential powers as Ant-Man, so it makes sense to link these two together. Yeah, and it's... it's, it's Besides, you know, the the romantic um, exactly between them as well. And also the theme that goes up, you know, it goes up because she flies, um, <laughs> which which makes sense. I actually really like the hybrid theme, and uh, I like how you can clearly tell this is within the same universe, this is by the same composer, this is meant to sound similar... But still, it's. I think it's a creative addition. It's a creative variation, and that's why I enjoyed the soundtrack actually really much.
I've already said that I absolutely love this movie. I it's it's definitely not the best of the MCU. No. It is certainly un- underrated though, and I feel mm-hmm. like it deserves a lot more praise and respect as as a, as an instruction manual for how to tell a good story, giving a villain a very relatable motivation, having scenes lead to each other very directly, giving the main characters as mu- as many obstacles as possible. On top of that, just random thing Usually Technobabble is just there in movies to be Technobabble. In this movie, Technobabble is there to establish the relationships between the characters. Hank and Hope will be talking in Technobabble, and will be talking angrily to each other in Technobabble, or happily to each other in Technobabble, and you can hear the point of the- you can hear the message they're trying to convey through their tone of voice instead of through the actual words. That- that's just- the movie is just really well done on a level of storytelling. Yeah, that's true. And in that way, you're right. They incorporated very well. To me, it's 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 just it's just a fun movie. It's a movie I wanted to see. You know, it's just it's a distraction. I mean, it's kind of like a distraction. It's an in between movie between the very big stuff. But I still think they do some good stuff with the characters, and it's a good addition after Infinity War, which you know. It has this bleak ending, it has all of these action scenes and all of these characters, and it's nice that it's scaled down deliberately. And that's why I enjoyed it so much. And um I hope I hope it's it's uh I hope it leads to something. I'm very curious what they will do with it. Um I mean it's kind of uh, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, it was very, very dark in Infinity War, let's have this kind of distraction, let's have this fun movie at the end remind you this is what it's all about, you know, the world is in jeopardy. But like not everyone is involved in saving the world and yet Thanos is snap his his snap will affect everyone. I mean, every other person, everyone is gonna know many people who were taken. No mm. one's life is no one's life in the entire universe is gonna be unaffected. Yeah. Except for maybe, maybe a hermit who lives with nobody in the woods so he doesn't even know anybody else has been snapped away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but he disappeared. Yeah, right? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. So, um, in, um, what's, uh, what's your take? Um, yeah, um, but as Hunter said, it's not like the, the MC movie, MCU movie I enjoyed the most, um, or, or the one that stirred the greatest emotions to me, but I still enjoyed it a lot. I thought they showed great mastery over uh, their gimmick, if we that you will, of shrinking, because um, we, we've seen this occasionally where a power ability, uh, a, an, an element is introduced into the story that, that could be very useful in other contexts, but then it isn't used. Barf in Civil War was a great example. Oh my gosh, I really hope they use that again. Right? But um, but it, but it's very satisfying when you can see clearly that the writers know their characters so well and they know their world so well that they can they can play around in it. They can do so many things. They can um, be creative and, and, and um, just sort of uh, have a great time with it. Uh, because they they know it so well. It's like a pianist who knows how to play so well that they can improvise and they can they can do all sort of this crazy stuff because they and stuff that nobody else can do because they know how it works. Yeah, and it's very clear that they fe- they 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 thought long and hard and and they figured out how how can we make shrinking and and growing and, and all this um, sizing down stuff as much a part of the movie as possible. And they really did that, and I appreciated that. Well said. It's a fun movie, and what's wrong with that? So, um, in conclusion, 
Um, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you online if you want them to find you, of course? <laughs> um, I don't have a podcast series of my own yet. Uh, keep track on Hunter's channels. Maybe he'll announce my book once it's finally published. But... <laughs> um, Jamie and I are about to start a podcast called The Prestige Minute, where we're going to go through Christopher Nolan's movie The Prestige one minute at a time and really dissect and analyze the movie. Other than that... Um, I run a podcast about music theory called Song Appeal, or rather it's about the psychology behind why we like the music we like, including music theory. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you can find me, of course, on Facebook and Twitter at Lasse Vogt. My podcast you are currently listening to is Fans About Films. You can find it on SoundCloud and iTunes. I host another podcast together with Laya Perez. It's a 90s Christmas podcast. You can also find it on iTunes. And I have a YouTube channel, uh, The Depart, and I write German soundtrack reviews for scoregeek.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, both of you, for uh, doing this. I had a lot of fun chatting with you. Thanks Likewise. a lot for having us. <laughs> and um, we say goodbye. And until next time, dear listeners, bye. Bye. Bye.